Well, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts 27. This is part two of the final years of the Apostle Paul. I believe we'll have a part three, and then we'll do Paul's theology of the birth of Christ. We'll be reading, um, going through this uh, historical event, um, but we'll be reading right now verses 13 to 25. And so hear God's inerrant and holy word. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they waded anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. When the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running along the lee of a small island called Kedah, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that we would run ground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. Lord, we pray that you would give us faith now to, to hear the words that you Speak to our hearts, and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, as we come now to Acts 27 and this uh, treacherous journey that Paul takes to Rome, I'm reminded that in his 25 years of ministry, he did endure much suffering, and uh, particularly for the name of Christ, so he faced many storms. About three years prior to this incident, we read the one we read here in Acts 27. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I have worked harder and been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from fallous brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
See, the Apostle Paul, like his Savior, he, he, he was acquainted with grief. He experienced suffering on the regular, as we just read. And yet, in the same letter, he could write this. After saying all that we just read, he says, For this light, momentary affliction is a preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, Paul knew that no matter how much it hurt in the here and now, how much suffering he was facing, how, how much pain he was facing, it did not compare at all to the hope and healing that he would experience in eternity in the presence of his Savior and his Lord Jesus. And so Paul understood that in this world filled with storms, we must simply, he says in 2 Corinthians, walk by faith and not by sight. And what we have here this morning is an example of Paul doing that very thing. He's walking by faith. And it's in the midst of a storm, and in this case, a literal storm. Now, chapter 27, as many people claim, gives us a rare glimpse into a part of the ancient life that you don't find in anywhere else. And there's this detail, as you just heard when we read the passage in the beginning, uh, most commentators at this point will quote a Scotsman named James Smith. Uh, James Smith lived in various parts of the Mediterranean, and he investigated weather patterns. And he set out in 1844 and 1845 to spend time in Malta, which Paul ends up at at the end of this. And he investigates Paul's voyage to Rome. Um, and he records for us in this book of his, it's called The Voyage and Shipwreck of St. Paul, and he writes there that the account here in Acts 27 was the product of an eyewitness who is not himself a sailor. And this is what he says, no sailor would have written in a style so little like that of a sailor. That's what we have in Acts 27. And yet no man who is not a sailor could have written a narrative of a sea voyage so consistent in all its parts unless from actual observation. And so he concludes, and we brought this up last week, that, that, Paul was, I mean, that Luke was there with, as Paul was tried by King Agrippa. He, he concludes that Luke had to be on the ship with Paul. Uh, the words we read here are accurate in terms of the, uh, uh, the route the ship took. Ancient navigation skills, he says, details of physical construction and the way in which the sailors tried to cope with the storm. All those things are consistent with sailors. And so he is there with Paul. And that's not surprising because in Acts 27, the first verse, we read, and when it was decided that we should set sail for Italy. He uses the the, the plural, we, and so we are getting an eyewitness account, an eyewitness account of this historical event. I, I think it's important as we walk through this, I mean, even as I read it earlier, you can get the sense that I, you were reading a diary or a, a journal, and he's given this account. We're getting this historic account, and it's remember, I mean, remember to uh, think through as you're studying the scriptures that our faith is based in history. It's grounded in history. And this was an historical event that we're learning much about God, but we're getting this eyewitness account. Well, Paul probably set sail from Caesarea, 
when we ended Acts 26, that's where he was when he was tried by King Agrippa. So he sets sail from there, and we're told in verse 1 that Paul and some other prisoners uh, were delivered to a centurion. His name was Julius. And so Paul is in a prison transport ship uh, with other prisoners and, and the crew. And, he, and most of these prisoners are probably already condemned to death. Paul is going to be tried, but they're mostly condemned to death, and they're setting sail to Rome. As an aside, they would take these voyages because Rome would often demand that the outlying regions, the provinces, would bring these human victims to Rome so that they could put them in the arena to be killed for sport and entertainment. And so that's what these men were facing. Not a Paul, we know, but that's what these men were facing, and so off they go. And the journey here is spelled out in two stages. There wasn't a direct route to Italy, and so first, in verse 2, they embark on a ship uh, which took them up the eastern coast of the Mediterranean around the edge of what we call Turkey, gradually making their way west. Uh, This would have been a very difficult trip for the time of year that it was, sailing westward. Uh, Well, in verse 6, we're we're told once they came to Myra, the the centurion Myra's in Lassie, and says, Centurion Julius, who we're told in verse 3, he treated Paul, he liked Paul well, you see there, he treated him kindly, he gave him leave. Well, verse 6 tells us that he found another ship sailing to Italy, so he gets his group and puts them on board. And so here we are, verse 7. And he says, Paul, I mean, Luke tells us, we sailed solely for a number of days and re- arrived with difficulty at Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under, under the lee of Crete on Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near what was the city of Lassie. Now, verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Now, the fast is in October. It's the Day of Atonement. And the winds at that time were coming from the west. The, the storm season was normally in November. And at that time, sailing on the Mediterranean Sea was usually ceased for winter. They just, you didn't chance it. You sailors simply pulled their boats up on the shore, and wherever they were at, they waited for the springtime. Well, in this case, as one writer points out, uh, they, the sailors knew that they wouldn't be able to reach Rome before winter. They would have the winter somewhere else. They'd have to stay somewhere else. But they didn't want to be in, in Fairhaven. That's the last place they wanted to be. There was a saying then that said, Fairhaven is not a very fair place. It's not somewhere you want to stay. And so they must have been thinking, anywhere but Fairhaven. If we get stuck in Fairhaven, it's going to be a long, hard, and difficult uh, winter. And since they knew there was a nicer port along the coast, uh, it was called Phoenix, they decided to take a chance and go for it. And so they wanted to get out of Fairhaven, and they took a chance in the storm and the winds. And uh, this is what we read now, picking up in verse 10, Paul tries to warn them. Sirs, I have perceived that the voyage will be with, with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid, no more, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And so they set sail for Phoenix, which is verse 12, tells us is a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest to spend the winter there. Well, they should have listened to Paul rather than the owner of the ship. 
The truth is, we read about this. Paul's been on three shipwrecks. He has a little bit of experience doing this. and He's been on several of them, but they didn't want to listen to him. They must have thought, what does he know? This guy's a prisoner and a pastor. I don't usually go down to the ocean and tell people how to handle their boats. I don't know anything about them. What does Paul think? He knows. And so we can make it. We're the experts. We know we can make it. And so they start out. And it was a mistake. Pick up in verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighted anchor and sailed along creek close to the shore. But soon there was this wind and this northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. And they were along the, the small island. And, and with difficulty, it says in verse 16, to secure the ship's boat. They were having a problem. After hoisting it up, though, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began next to get rid of the cargo, and they're, and they're lightening the ship. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And then we read, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Their confidence is completely gone. I mean, you read that last word, and you should get a sense. They're at a loss of what to do, and so they begin throwing these things off the overboard as as this last-ditch effort, trying to do something, and then all of a sudden, it hits them, as it were, and they're going to die. It's over in this storm. Imagine the fear. You've probably seen movies or read books on the Titanic when it just at one point you just say, it's done. We're all going to die. And so you imagine the fear and the hopelessness waiting for their fate. And so they awaited their doom. They had nothing else they could do. And in the midst of this hopelessness, in the midst of the panic that must have set in, all the fear that they were feeling, while hunger begins to set in, we're told in verse 21, Paul now intervenes. Men, you should have listened to me. And not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Now, up to now, Luke has depicted Paul as the apostle Paul to the Gentiles, the pioneer of these three missionary journeys, a, a prisoner and a defendant. But here is, as John Stott points out, he's just a man among men. Here he is in this boat. He's a lonely Christian. There was Luke and then. Aristarchus was mentioned in verse 2, so there's three of him, but they're lonely Christians among about 275, we're told, non-Christians, soldiers, prisoners, merchants, and crew member, as I said, many of them just ready to go to Rome and face death. Um, He intervened once before, you shouldn't do this, they didn't listen, Um, but that doesn't deter him. He now stands there, and he intervenes three more times. First, he calls them to be courageous. Verse 22, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God 
that it'll be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some island. It's amazing, isn't it? All these expert sailors know how to sail in storms, so frightened, so afraid that they'd just given up hope. And then there's this Jewish preacher who supposedly knew nothing about sailing who calls them to take heart and to not be afraid. Well, they spend 13 dark nights in the storm-tossed seas. 13 nights. Verse 27, and when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. And so they took a sounding and found 20 phantoms. A little further on, they took another sounding, and they were closer, and so they're fearing that they might run into the rocks at this point. And they let down their anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. Well, in verse 30, we learn that sailors were seeking to escape from the ship. Thought it was going to hit the rocks, and so they were laying out anchors, but were lowering the ship's boats. So there's this big ship, and alongside her are these boats, and they start lowering them, thinking, well, we got to get out of here. And now Paul intervenes for a second time here. Uh, Paul said in verse 31, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And so here are these sailors who think they know it all. They, they didn't listen to Paul the first time. Paul tells them, stop doing what you're doing and get in the ship. And they listen to him and cut away the ropes of the ship's boat, and they let it go. And now Paul intervenes again, and he says, look, it's time to eat. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, that is the account of what happens. And Paul's words here in this real event actually speak to our lives as well. Of course, we probably aren't going to be lost at sea anytime soon. And if we do find ourselves lost at sea, it's unlikely that an angel is going to appear to us uh, guaranteeing our safety. That's true. But that being said, we all face storms, uh, metaphorical storms. And the, and the principles laid out here in this literal storm um, help us navigate the, uh, the metaphorical storms that we all face. One writer said, storms come into our lives, and sometimes they come quite suddenly and are fierce. One day, we're in perfect health. Suddenly, we experience pain, and within a matter of hours, we find ourselves in the hospital, and the diagnosis is grim. We'll have to operate at once, the doctor says. A storm has descended on our lives. One day, we're sitting at home eating. The telephone rings, and someone on the other end says, I'm sorry, but I have bad news for you. And tears fill your eyes as you hear that you've lost a loved one. And so the storm, the metaphorical storm, has descended. See, life's storms will come. They're inevitable. And when they come, they can come hard. But the question is, how are we to stand in the midst of them? How are we to handle them? 
And that's what Paul teaches us. That when life storms hit and when everyone around us would be drowning in a sea of despair, in a sea of fear, in a, in a sea of hopelessness, Paul teaches us how we can remain courageous and, and, and even in the midst of the storm have, be filled with hope. He gives us several principles for remaining steadfast in life storms. And I'm going to share a few, uh, four of them. First, Paul knew God was with him, that he was not alone. He, he could have easily felt abandoned. He could have felt overwhelmed. I mean, he just got tried. He's going to Rome. The waves are crashing over the boat. Uh, uh, but he found that he was not alone. In the midst of that, literally, well, not alone, an angel of the Lord appeared to him to reassure him of God's presence. And God came to him to minister peace to his heart. And although we may have never seen an angel and we're not likely to hear that voice from heaven, we have the very promise of God as Paul had the promise of God that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. That's a promise. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? It's to you and it's to me. I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. See, regardless of the storms that enter into your life, regardless of that, we may not always feel that God is there. We may feel abandoned. And we may be tempted to think we're all alone. But he hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us. Uh, Dr. Tony Campola, uh, I haven't heard him in years, but I remember uh, I wrote down this story, and it fits here, the story of when he was a boy growing up. He used to have to walk to school, and it was a dangerous area, and so his parents, his mother paid a teenage girl to help him walk uh, to class, I mean, get to the school, and she would pay a nickel a day. Uh, but Tony rebelled in the second grade and told his mother, I'll walk myself to school, he said. And if you give me a nickel a week, I'll be extra careful. You can keep the other 20 cents and we'll all be better off. And he pleaded and he, he begs and eventually he got his way. And for the next two weeks, he walked to school on his own. He was eight blocks and was very careful and he looked both ways. He did everything he needed to do and he didn't talk to strangers as he was told. And he wasn't distracted at the candy store or whatever it was. He went right home. He did what he was told. Well, years later, he was telling that story very proudly. He was bragging about the independence that he had at such a young age and, and, and how he could take care of himself as a boy. And at that point, when he was telling the story, his mom was there and she started laughing. And she said, did you really think you were alone? See, every morning when you left for school, I left with you. I walked behind you all the way. When you got out of school at 3.30 in the afternoon, I was there. I always kept myself hidden, but I was there, and I followed you all the way home. I just wanted to be there for you in case you needed me. What does Scripture say, beloved? It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed, Deuteronomy 31, 8. Psalm 94, for the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Isaiah 41, we read, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
in life's storms, when we face them, even though we may not know it, he is with us and he'll see us through. That was a principle that Paul learned. Second, Paul also knew that, God, that he belonged to God. In verse 23, Paul says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. Uh, the NIV says, of whose I am. Paul is saying, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to him. Remember the word of God. Remember what it says to us. We talked about this when we talked about the church, who we are. We're, we're his bride. He's the bridegroom. We're his adopted children. He's our father. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. And we know that uh, bridegrooms and fathers and shepherds aren't always perfect. But that's the point being made in this passage is typically the groom doesn't desert his bride. A father doesn't desert his children. A shepherd doesn't desert his sheep. In the best of circumstances, when the best bridegroom, when the best father, when the best shepherd, they don't compare to God. We belong to him. He loves us and he cares for us and he protects us. And that's what we see here. God is with us and we belong to him. Third principle. Paul was in the Lord's service and knew God would fulfill his promise. Look at verse 23 again. The God to whom I belong and whom I worship. The word worship here means divine service. That's the idea. Paul knew he was called by God to serve where? Remember, he was called to Rome. And we read about it in Acts 23, or you read about it in Acts 23. The night of the Lord stood near him and said, Keep up your courage, for just as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. No matter what storm Paul faced, no matter how difficult it became, how overwhelmed, he knew that his life would be spared because God specifically told him he would reach Rome. Now, of course, we don't have a divine word like that. We, uh, we, don't, we don't have God revealing when and where he will take us home or where he is leading us now specifically. But as one preacher explains, we can know that as long as God has work for us to do, God will persevere or preserve us till the end. God will not be frustrated, and if God is not frustrated, we don't need to be frustrated either. If God has work for us to do, then God will keep us alive to do it. And if you have finished the work, then why should you want to linger here any longer anyway, says James Boyce. We may want to go to heaven as soon as possible, but until we need to get on with our Father's business, obeying his call. See, in either case, it's interesting to realize that Paul is exactly where he's supposed to be. Think about that. Have you ever been in a, in, a, in a storm in your life? This is exactly where I need to be. You, we don't say that. We complain. Paul is exactly where he needs to be on this ship. Uh, the angel told Paul, do not be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. And, and he told Paul, guess what? And all these people will, will be saved. All these people are going to be saved that have sailed with him. As Paul faithfully served God in the midst of the storm, the truth is he was in the safest place he could possibly be in the middle of the storm, but also, and more importantly, in the middle of the will of God. Well, there's one more principle 
So far, here's what we learn. As we face storms in life, God is with us, and we belong to him. And God has called us, and we can believe his word when he speaks. And now this last principle follows directly from these. Paul trusted God in all circumstances. Verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. God, Paul knew God was with him, right? And he, he knew he belonged to God. And he knew that God would still had work left for him to do. All those things were important. But he also knew that God could be trusted. Think about it this way. If you know God's all-powerful and you know he knows all things, and, and, and that's good news, especially when you pray and ask for something to get through a storm, but if he, if he can't be trusted, what good is it? Paul said, no, no, no. I know God can be trusted. He could put his faith in God. And so here is the key to dealing with these life storms. Holding fast to the truth that the one who is with you in the storm is your omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign father to whom you belong, and he is faithful and can be trusted. That is who's walking with you. That is who's getting you through this world. Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He can get you through the storms. You know, the story reminds us of another storm story found in the Scripture. I'll close with this. It's found in Mark 4. We read there that when evening had come, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. So they, they hop in the boat. They left the crowd. They get in the boat. And other boats were out there. And a, and a windstorm arose. And these were pretty serious storms. And the waves were breaking over the boat. The boat was filling up. But where was Jesus in the midst of this storm? He's asleep in the back. Um, and they woke him up. You see what's happening here? They're, they're scared. The, the disciples were simply following Jesus right into the storm. He said, let's get in the boat. They get into the boat. They were obeying his word. That's what a disciple is supposed to do, obey his word. And yet Jesus is the one who leads them into the sea and he's the one who led them by his word of command into a storm, leads them into it. Just as Paul obeyed the Lord and was led into the storm, so did the disciples. And they're afraid. These men who are fishermen are afraid, and they ask the Lord, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And at this point, in the midst of the storm, they doubted his love. Notice they doubted his word. Jesus said, Let's get in, and we're going to the other side. So where were they going to end up? On the other side of the lake. But they failed to believe it at that moment. Why? Because they were consumed with the, the storm that was right there, uh, the waves as they were crashing. The storm was too terrifying to believe God's word. And so as one writer says, they allowed the voice of the storm to silence the voice of the Lord. Well, they cry out. For help, in verse 39, this is Jesus. He awakes and he rebukes the wind and the sea and says, peace be still. And the wind ceases and there's this great calm. And he looks at his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, it takes much to imagine, the it doesn't take much to imagine the incredible nature of this storm and this scene. 
It's not much different than Paul's. Waves crash and wind howling. They're at their wits end. They don't know what to do. Uh, they're experienced fishermen, and, and, and yet they're frightful uh, in the midst of the storm. See, here's the thing. They could do nothing about the situation they found themselves in. Nothing. And yet Jesus says, well, maybe there was if you had faith. And so people think, well, I guess, I guess that means if they had enough faith, they could have got rid of the storm themselves and let Jesus just sleep. And that's not what it means at all. It had nothing to do with that. It wasn't faith that the storm would be removed. It was faith in him while the storm raged. That's where faith was the lie. It was faith in the God who is with us, faith to the God we belong to, faith in the storm, and he could be trusted in the midst of the storm. You know, maybe you're fearful today of something. Maybe you're anxious about something. And, and, and you look at the, the challenges you have to face, and you say, I can do nothing about this. And it's, it's starting to overwhelm me, kind of like waves crashing over a boat. Maybe you fear some unspoken problem that doesn't have any solution. What are you to do? Well, the story tells us what to do. In stormy times like that, you need to accept by faith that he, Jesus, our Lord and God and Savior, is completely capable of delivering you with simply a word. And he spoke, and there was calm. Simply a word. You need to accept by faith that he is with you and you belong to him. That's no small thing. He is with you in the storm. You may not feel it. You may not believe it, but he is with you. You need to accept by faith his word of promise that he will get you through to the other side. Oh, he may not remove the storm. He hasn't made that promise. Despite what the health and wealth people say on television, he hasn't promised to remove the storm. He hasn't promised to make things better. He has promised to be with you. You need to accept by faith that he cares for you and loves you, even when everything around you says, no, he doesn't. And understand, beloved, we can know this is true. We can know this is true of our Savior, Jesus. Why? Because in the midst of the storm that he faced, the ultimate storm of God's wrath, he endured for you and for me. He took that storm Upon him. That's how we know that he cares. He was thrown under the ultimate waves of sin and death on the cross. And so here it is the same Christ you trust today is the same Christ who endured the cross for you. The same Christ you trust today is the same Christ who calmed the storm for the disciples. It's the same Christ who was with the Apostle Paul with his storm, and he's the same Christ who will be with you. You belong to him. He cares for you. You belong to him and he cares for you. And here's another promise of his word. Someday, he will return for us and he will remove every single storm forever. That is the, that is the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's easier to preach than it is to live, Lord. And so we pray that your spirit would strengthen us too when we face storms in life, that we would look to you. In Christ's name, 
Amen.